Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I am one of the pastors here, and we are so excited to be with you guys. I hope you guys are excited about Christmas. I hope you guys are excited about Christmas. Yes, yes. Welcome to week two of our Christmas series, Emmanuel, God with us. Today, we are celebrating the moment when the God of the universe came as a baby boy, and he began to radically change everything. It's really a series about God becoming personal to us. In a few days, we are going to be celebrating our Christmas Eve services. We have four of them, as you heard, and I hope that you guys will bring a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, the little old lady at the grocery store, bring them. It's going to be an awesome time to hear about what God has done and to hear about the good news of Jesus. Right? That's really what Christmas is about. So that's what we're going to be talking about today as we ramp up into Christmas. And so I want to share with you that while I was in seminary, I worked at UPS, and I began working in the evening. I loaded trucks, not the little brown trucks that drop off your Christmas presents, but the gigantic tractor trailers, like 53-foot trailers we were loading. And my job, my only job, was to put the right package in the right truck, right? Pretty simple. Check, scan, load, put them in there. And shortly after that, I became promoted as a supervisor, And now my job was to oversee and train loaders to do exactly that, put the right package in the right truck, right? And and the area I was overseeing was called the Grove. All of those trucks went to Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. There was, we would load seven to eight trucks every single night. And shortly after I began supervising, I realized there was a pretty steep curve to this new position, About 8 o'clock, almost every single night at 8 o'clock, my area would just get slammed with volume. And my loaders couldn't keep up with everything that was coming down the belts. And so inevitably, we would shut down our belt. And our belt looped all the way around down to the sword aisle, and those guys had no room to put any boxes on. So they're standing around, they're shutting their belts off. The guys in the unload can't put boxes on their belts, so they're standing around. That is a lot of people standing around getting paid. So that was a huge problem. And it wasn't until I climbed up this really tall ladder, and I got up into this perch, and I could see the entire building, that my my perspective started to change. Because I saw the bigger picture of what was happening, and as I saw and I noticed what was happening, I was able to be proactive. You see, until then, I had severe tunnel vision. I would would walk in and out of guys' trucks. I would check on them. I could see their packages. I would walk back and forth on the floor looking at all the trucks, and all I could see was my little area. And it wasn't until I got up high where I could see the whole picture, I got a new perspective that I began to change how I oversaw the volume and the flow that was coming into my area. I think we've all had situations like that, right? Maybe you met somebody, and at first you weren't really sure who they were, you weren't sure what your opinion was, and then you learned some things about them and your perspective changed. Or maybe you were working on a project at work, or you had a task to work on at home, and all of a sudden, someone asked you a question, and you're like, hmm, that's a good question. 
And all of a sudden, your perspective changed. So many times that happens to us, and as our perspective changes, we begin to interpret life differently. This morning, we're going to talk about that. What kind of perspective should we have on God and his faithfulness? And if that perspective isn't right, then it should change. And I hope to convince you, I hope to look at God's word, and it will persuade you to have a different perspective of God's word so that you and I can have joy that unspeakable joy. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, in the book of Luke, God's people needed to see how Mary chose a godly perspective as she became pregnant. The news came to her. She is a young teenager, and as a teenager who is unmarried, finding out you're pregnant can really make your life complicated. So that's where we are. Luke chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. It's already there. And uh, at this point, the angel Gabriel has broken the news to Mary that she's going to have a child. And here's her response. It's actually in form of a song, but don't worry, I'm not going to sing it to you guys today. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought rulers down from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So here's a recap of what's going on with Mary. First of all, we find out that she's pregnant out of wedlock. She's pregnant, and her fiancé has set out to leave her. Next, we also know that she is one of the poorest of poor in her community. She's also a teen mom. And in this culture, all of this would have been a huge scandal. Just think about this young girl. Most scholars think at, at the oldest she would have been 17, junior higher, maybe to a junior in high school, somewhere along there, is engaged to a man named Joseph. They find out that she's pregnant. They know the baby does not belong to Joseph, and he's thinking about leaving. As a young girl, that would have been overwhelming. That would have been a burden to most people, and yet... This was all God's plan. As you think about Mary, as you think about her situation and her context, how many of you would have considered her blessed? I think for most people, we would look at her life and we'd go, what happened? Your life is kind of ruined. Your reputation is a little bit tainted. I imagine so many people would have looked at her, 
from the outside and they would have judged her. They would have thought all sorts of bad things about her. And as Mary is taking this in, there are some people that begin to tell the story that the baby actually belonged to a Roman soldier. But here's something we need to talk about. Here's something we need to realize. Her reputation, if you want to call it ruined, was ruined by God. This was the plan. He didn't, it wasn't just a bad situation. God orchestrated everything, and he's using it. And that's what we're going to talk about. We know she's really poor because as they brought a uh, sacrifice to the birth of Jesus, they didn't bring a lamb. They brought two turtle doves. That was something that was for the poorest of poor. She had nothing. The angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And it's not Joseph's. Good luck. And then, to be honest, I think she might have been a little frightened. She might have been a little overwhelmed. But check out her perspective. Verse 46. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. She's actually echoing Psalm 34, verse 2, which says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. In verse 47, she says, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. There it's echoing Isaiah 45, which talks about there is no God, no one else besides me, a just God and a Savior. Verse 48 says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant which actually echoes 1 Samuel 1. Mary had an incredible perspective that was shaped by the word of God. Her response has been cultivated and driven and shaped by the word of God. So many of us, when our life takes a sharp left turn and things begin to unravel, what is it that's shaping our perspective? It's our friends, social media, the news, TV. But how many of us would say, every single time I encounter something that is uncomfortable and hard, my life and my perspective is shaped by the word of God? That's Mary. And so in verse 48, she says, all generations are going to call me blessed. She has a unique perspective shaped by the word. She's speaking of herself as a recipient of a blessing, not necessarily the dispenser of a blessing. She says, they're going to consider me blessed because of everything that I've received. This is an expression of great faith. She knows and she recognizes that God is at work in her life. But so many times, when things don't go our way, when things don't go according to our will, we question, what is God doing? Where is he? What's happening? And yet Mary knows God's at work. The outside looks very messy. But look what she says in verse 47. And my spirit rejoices. My spirit rejoices, even though everything on the outside looks like it's just falling apart, I am overjoyed. There's an exceeding joy. Some translations say unspeakable joy. How many of us can say that we have that? 
an unspeakable joy. You see, Mary chose to change her perspective on something that on the outside looked like a big mess. And here she says, I am rejoicing. I have an unspeakable joy. So what is joy? Joy is different than happiness. Here's what Paul Tripp says joy is. Joy is an inner peace and rest based on what you know to be true. It's not a warm fuzzies. It's not a little quiver in your liver. I'm basing it on what I know to be true, resulting in a life of thankfulness and expectancy. She was thankful that God was at work in her life. She was expecting God to work in her life. And so that's why James says, count it all joy when you and I face various trials. Counting stuff joy when life is hard is a challenge. It's really, really difficult. It's not fun. It's not easy. And I don't think Mary's life was easy at all. So when we choose joy in the midst of a trial, we're declaring God's promises. When things don't go according to plan, how do you and I respond? Just think about this past week. When something didn't go your way, when someone cut you off in traffic, when someone yelled at you, when someone gave you a, a sarcastic remark, when someone posted something offensive on social media, when someone betrayed you, how did you respond? Was it anger and bitterness or joy? How do we choose joy when life doesn't go our way? Because when life goes my way and everything is going perfectly according to the will of Tim, it is so easy to be happy and content and full of joy. But here, Mary's life is not going according to plan. Yet she is choosing joy. Verse 48 says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She sees herself as a humble servant. She looks at God and says, Look, he has literally looked upon me. He's literally looked at me. God is looking down at me. I am unworthy. I am a sinner. I am poor. I am humble. I am nobody special. And here God is at work in my life. That's reflective of her perspective. She praises God because he is very personal to her. Verse 49 says that the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She looks at God and she realizes he has saved her. He has called her. This is real worship. She is acknowledging that God is the one that she worships. And worship happens outside of what happens here on Sunday morning, right? Typically, we talk about worship and this is what we think of. We think of what we just did. We sang to God. We sang about God and that is worship. But I am convinced that worship is, is more than that. Worship is our identity. 
Worship is everything that we say and do. You and I are hardwired to worship. The question is, who or what are we worshiping? Mary is worshiping the king of kings. She's worshiping the God of the universe. And all of this overflows. Look at verse 51 through 55. He has performed mighty deeds. With his arm, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And my spirit rejoices in my Savior. So she is reflecting back on what God has done. Notice the repetition of he has, he has, he has, he has. As Luke is writing this, he wants you to notice and pick up on that detail that God is at work. God is at work in Mary's life and he has been at work in the whole world, in the life of Israel. She's looking back in the past and she's worshiping God for what he's been doing in her life, in the life of all of Israel. But notice verse 47. Sorry, go back. There we are. She references God as my savior. This is really, really personal. And then verse 48, she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She's talking like she's sitting in the lap of luxury. But her life from the outside looks like a hot mess. And she is acknowledging that God is her savior. So personal. That's her perspective on life. As everything appears to be falling apart, as everything seems to be just crumbling to the ground, God is my savior. She has a great need for him. It's, it's her only salvation. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he has radically changed your life. You and I, when we place our faith in Christ, we have a new identity. He pulls us out of the darkness and puts us into the light. He purchases us from sin. He redeems us and he puts us in Christ. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Christ. God looks at you and he sees you as his son or his daughter. You have been adopted. You are in Christ. But not only that, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Christ is not just with you. He dwells within you. And so first thing I want you to see is God's greatest blessings are not what he will do for me, but who he is in me. That's one of the best blessings ever. And so many times we look at our life and we evaluate our circumstances and we decide whether or not we're blessed or not. Did you get a close parking spot at the mall? 
Did you get a promotion this year? Did you get a raise this year? Did you get a new car? Did you get an influx of money? People seem to like you and love you. Is, is our politics going your way? And we evaluate our circumstances, we evaluate our situations, and we decide whether or not we're blessed or not. And the reality is, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. God is working in your life. So many times we look at a situation and it's overwhelming, it's daunting, it, it's hard. And then we add ourselves to that equation. And as we look at ourselves, we go, ooh, I don't know if I can deal with that. I don't know if I can handle that. And we become overwhelmed. But what if we, what if we just change the perspective a little bit? The same situation, it's, it's overwhelming, it's daunting, it's scary, it's hard. We add ourselves to it. I'm inadequate. I'm not prepared for this. And then we add God to that equation. He is big. He's the God of the universe. And when we change our perspective, we add a big God to that equation. Then and only then we can have joy. We can have contentment. Mary is not looking at the external. She's looking at what God has done in her. The greatest blessing, the blessing that makes all others appear insignificant in comparison is that Jesus is with us. Take a look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God is working to bring forth Jesus. God is, is using this situation. He's orchestrating this whole situation because he is bringing forth the Savior of the world, that Jesus was going to be born. And one day, like Reed mentioned, he's going to die on the cross. And he's going to pay for all of our sins so that people can put their faith in Christ. So we get to celebrate those carnations because of the work that God has done. All of that started with him coming as a baby. This is crazy because it's been thousands of years since that promise. And it's been 400 years since God has spoken to Israel. And this is how he breaks his radio silence. By coming and sending Gabriel about this baby to be born. So why did God choose this way? Why did God choose Mary in this particular situation? I think he chose her because he wanted her to kind of get a glimpse into what it's like to be misunderstood, what it's like to be accused, what it's like to have a reputation that's ruined. And that was Jesus' pathway to the cross. 1 Peter 4 talks about how we can find blessings in suffering. Verse 13 says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. 
being blessed, being highly favored, actually has nothing to do with our situation, our circumstances. Often we are going to go through suffering, we're going to go through difficulty, and that is part of what God is using. Suffering for Christ is a blessing. It's God with you. So let me ask you this. Would you consider yourself blessed if you didn't get that close parking spot? Would you consider yourself blessed if you didn't get that promotion at work? Would you consider yourself blessed if your family dynamic began to shift and move and things didn't work out in, in your life of your kids? Would you consider yourself blessed if you didn't get that job? How do we evaluate blessings? This morning, I want to convince you that to change our perspective, that we would see what God is doing in us. Jesus says, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are weak. Verse 46. This is what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God my Savior. She magnifies the Lord. Whatever you magnify, that's what you're going to rejoice in. Whatever you and I magnify, that's what we're going to rejoice in. And there's two types, there's two kinds of magnifying. One is really like a microscope, right? A microscope say, takes something that's really, really small and it just blows it up. Mary is not taking a small, tiny God and saying, I'm going to make him bigger. The other, kind of micro, the other kind of magnifying is a telescope. You take something that's really, really big, a star, a planet, and you make it as big as it really is. You bring it forth so that you can see it. That's exactly what Mary is doing. She is taking a big God and she is making him look and sound as big as he really is. Mary is being a telescope. She is magnifying God. And whatever you magnify, that's what you're going to rejoice in. Mary says, I'm going to magnify God with thanksgiving. She doesn't mean I'm just going to take a tiny little God and make him bigger. No, I'm going to look, make him look and sound as big as he really is. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with magnifying God? This week, I want to challenge you to look for opportunities to magnify God, to make much of Jesus. As you talk to people, as you interact with people, as you respond, let's magnify him and make much of Christ. She has an attitude of worship. This idea magnifies the idea of, of swell or making something big, making something great. It's also the idea of she's been doing this on a continual basis. It's a habit as she worships God. So when you look at what God is doing in your life, whether you're married, or you have kids, or you have a great retirement, or you have a awesome set of circumstances, if those things weren't there, could we still rejoice? What do you rejoice in? Let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 3 real quick. 
Habakkuk 3, verse 17, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk has a unique perspective on life. It's not going very well. There's no crops. There's no cattle. These are dire circumstances. And this is what he says. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice He could just say, well, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm just going to rub some dirt on it. I'm just going to, I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. He doesn't say any of those things. He knows he can't control his circumstances, but in spite of those, he chooses joy. Like Mary, like Habakkuk, they have a unique perspective driven by God. Can you rejoice in Emmanuel? That's my challenge for you this morning. That as we enter into this Christmas season, you and I would change our perspective and we would cultivate an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude and out of that gratitude would flow joy. That we would choose to rejoice. Fix our eyes on Christ. So what changed for me at UPS? I didn't get any smarter. My loaders didn't start working harder. I definitely didn't get taller. My perspective changed. And as I began to look at the entire operation of what was happening in that warehouse, I began to make a different play. I began to respond differently. I was getting the same amount of volume had the same workers, nothing got easier, but the thing that changes, I shifted my perspective. And so I want to encourage you. I want to remind you, blessings are not what God will do for me, but what he has become in me. And whatever you magnify, that's what you're going to rejoice in. So choose a perspective that says, I will make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, you are amazing. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your mercy. And it's our desire that we would would magnify you. We would learn to cultivate joy even when things don't make sense. It's our desire to make much of you And as we enter into this Christmas season with the pressure and the stress and everything that's happening politically, we ask that you would help us to shift our perspective, to magnify you, to rejoice in you, and that we would worship you with everything that we do, with everything that we say. Father, we love you. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand and sing one more.